0: Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Kate and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I'm Kate Chaplin.
1: And I'm Phoebe Freer.
0: Today we are talking about the inventor of the windshield wiper. We're also going to talk about a little automotive history and a fun sidebar on more wonderful gals with patents. So today we are going to talk about the life and legacy of your gal, Mary Anderson.
1: So Mary is actually an interesting one because we say her name and then nearly everyone goes, "Who?"
0: Right, yep.
1: Right. So the thing is, everyone who has ever been in a form of transportation, whether it be a car, an airplane, or even a train, they know the invention that Mary created. And that invention is, of course, the windshield wiper. Even tiny cars like Tuk Tuk's, which you mostly see overseas, have windshield wipers. So like most of us, I had no knowledge of the name Mary Anderson or why it should mean something to me. Except that every day I wake up, I go to work, and I see what she created. And I sometimes even obsessively use my windshield wipers because having a dirty windshield to me is kind of like having a dirty camera lens. So it kind of drives me crazy to have my windshield all messed up.
0: I can see that. Oh, yeah, Yeah. I'm with you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so my windshield wipers are like my best friend. And yes, I honestly couldn't (laughs) imagine driving without Mary's invention. So I'm really thankful for Mary, and I'm pretty excited about talking about her this week.
0: I, I mean, I always have a special place in my own heart for inventors. I oh, just totally. love inventors. My, I mean, my dad is one. <laughs> so dad, yeah. he taught me the importance. He taught me the joy. And he, um, also many times I see the heartbreak, too, when it comes to right. inventing. Um, So Mary is one of those gals that I do talk about in my school presentations. So before this podcast, I only knew, like, a paragraph of information about her. Um, wow. But what I found, I found was fascinating fascinating. So I have this picture of Mary in my office and it's this little old white-haired lady with round glasses who you'd never guess that she was the inventor of the windshield wiper. Uh, And she always makes me smile to have on my desk.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's so cute. So there's actually not a lot of information out there about Mary's personal life. What we do know though is that Mary Anderson was born in Greene County, Alabama in 1866. And that's really all we know. I mean, we don't know much about her childhood. We don't know much right. about like what she liked. Because the next thing we hear about is in 1889 when she was 23. That point is that she moved back in with her sister and her widowed mother who lived in Birmingham, Alabama. And Mary's invention of the windshield wiper was not her only accomplishment in her life, actually. So Mary actually built what is called the Fairmount Apartments soon after she settled in Alabama, and that's pretty much what she spent her time doing. By 1893, Mary had moved west to Fresno, California, where until 1898 she operated a cattle ranch and a vineyard. I I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah. she did so many things. (laughs) And honestly, just by this little information we know about her life outside of the invention, I mean, what I kind of induct from it is that we can kind of tell that she was a go-getter. You know, she was driven, she was hardworking. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and because of all this, it also implies, at least to me, that she did well for herself. And maybe... She wasn't rich, but she was definitely well off and did well for herself and for her family.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. no, I love that. (laughs) So we should also probably take a minute and paint a picture of cars at the time we were talking about. uh, Because cars were quite different at the time of Mary's invention, before we get into it right so when we are talking about the automated the automobile history it actually goes back as far as steam power and even wind power now steam buses were on the scene as early as 1790 which actually surprised me i really didn't think it was that far back and they were they were you know uh having tons of people travel Yeah.
1: This is very interesting.
0: But when we're talking about Mary's time, when we're talking about the nineteen hundreds, forty percent of automobiles were powered by steam. So there was quite a bit of that. Wow. Thirty eight percent of them were powered by electricity, and twenty two percent were fueled by gasoline. Oh my gosh. So to break it down just a little bit, steam cars, even though they were the most popular, they were the most complicated, and they were always thirsty for more water and for more steam. Now, gas cars, they were loud. They were unreliable at this time, and the vibration was real. Right. (laughs) It was quite a bumpy ride. Now, electric was quiet. It was a self-start, and it was very low-maintenance. But it required changing stations. And before mm. 1910, very few homes were even wired for electricity. So the idea of changing uh, charging stations was going to fail at catching on, uh, especially as much as the way gas stations were going to catch on. Right. So it would be the gas powered car that would eventually win when it came to these three different types of automobile. Now, there were many inventors and businesses that would add and improve onto the automobile. In 1890, there was more than 100 companies in the United States alone fighting with each other to be the first, to be the best, to be the most innovative, or to get the most bang for your buck, basically. (laughs) So of that time, because there's many more of them, but the ones to kind of dot point are Charles and Frank Druyer, Ransom Eli Olds of Oldsmobile would sound more familiar, uh, James Ward Packard possibly people have heard of the Packard automobile um now the 1902 the curved-dash Osmobile beat the sales of the steam-powered cars and they called those steam-powered cars the locomobile
1: oh my gosh <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> thank you it's like a yeah <laughs> oh my god like a
0: locomotive but it's the locomobile is right. actually what they were called when they were steam powered yeah and they
1: going cute? <laughs> loco <I'm sorry. laughs> so that's agree. amazing that's so cute
0: once the Oldsmobile beat out the locomobile then other companies started to take notice so from 1904 to 1908 now there's 241 companies that are involved in the automotive industry in the united States and one of them was a little company called the Ford Motor Company.
1: Just a little, just just a little one.
0: Before we come back to Ford, you know, with the Mm -hmm. little innovations that they did, in Europe, at the turn of the century, there was also many people who added to and improved on the automobile. So there was Carl's Benz, famous for, of course, Mercedes-Benz. There was Gottlieb Daimler, which eventually was Daimler-Chrysler. They were both in Germany. There was Groupé Renault, fans of the Renault car from France. And there was also Giovanni Anginelli of Italy, who founded Fiat. And Fiat actually kind of resurfaced in the last couple of years as well. (laughs) Now, cars on both sides of the ocean, uh, they were actually first made for the very rich or for mass transit in the early days, they were a luxury. They were beautifully built, um, and around the year of 1900, personal cars would cost about seven thousand dollars in that time's money, which would be about a hundred thousand dollars today. Wow! Right, they're a rich person's automobile. Yeah. <laughs> Now, they would do races and they would showcase the automobile that would draw more attention to its idea, but it would have to be once the cars were proven reliable, durable, and affordable would they actually be able to reach many people. So Henry Ford, once again, that Henry Ford, Mm -hmm. um, he is credited, and rightly so, with cementing the popularity and the availability of the automobile. He said, when I'm through, everyone will have one. I'm just saying, that's a pretty good statement. Yeah, it really is. So in 1908, with help from the Dodge Brothers, Ford released the Model T and it became the biggest success and it sold 10,000 cars in the very first year. Wow. Now, six years later, with even more competition from many other car companies at the time, his assembly line allowed to cut the assembly time on the Model T from 12 hours to 93 minutes minutes. Right? It got precise and it got drastically cut. This also brought down the cost of the car. It was $850 and it brought it down to $390. Another side effect of what Ford did with the assembly line, he created more jobs for unskilled laborers and created the middle class system where then the everyday middle class could afford to buy a car. (laughs)
1: It's pretty cool. It's, pretty, it's actually pretty
0: creative. Right? Cool what it is. Yeah. I know. And it's one of those things where it's like, is that innovation or is that a happy, happy accident of creating the consumer that's going to buy your product that they're making themselves as well? Right. <laughs> interesting. It is very interesting. Now, two other factors that really helped the automobile in general, I mean, beyond Ford Motor Company. Um, The first one was the creation of General Motors. The second one was World War I. Now, General Motors was created by William Durant in 1908, and it was a holding company or a conglomeration. Uh, GM already owned Buick, and then it acquired Oldsmobile, then Cadillac, then Vauxhall, eventually Chevrolet, And a lot of others. Now, Durant wanted a monopoly like Standard Oil had, but there was two things that stood in his way. One of them was Henry Ford, because he refused to sell to GM. The other one was that Durant was fired from the board of GM. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) That also kind of stops a person from creating the monopoly a little bit. Yes, they still kept trying. But it would be the war, however, that would really help the automobile. Because that meant government contracts from around the world to make cars to support the war effort. 15,000 Model Ts were used as military ambulances in World War I. Wow. And Ford made $8 million in military contracts for World War I. So automobiles were international, and they were extremely profitable from a variety of different ways. (laughs) I didn't know any of that. That's crazy. Right? Isn't it fascinating, though? Like, we kind of take it for granted of, like, how do we go, hey, I'm going to turn 16. I need to buy my first car. And then you have a car for the rest of your life (laughs) right? in one form or another. Right. And you just kind of take it for granted. This is something that you just do once you can drive a car. You get one. Right
1: right (laughs) Mm.
0: yep so that is a a brief i'm talking very brief there's a big rabbit hole you can go down uh with looking at the history of the personal car uh, from the early 1900s um so phoebe tell us how mary came up with the invention uh for the windshield wiper
1: sure absolutely so as the story goes mary anderson was visiting new york city in the winter of 1902 she was riding in a trolley car and it was the middle of winter so it was raining sleeting snowing you name it it was all happening so she saw that the trolley car driver was driving with both windshield panes open because he had trouble keeping the windshield clear and in this day it was also said that people had to stop driving to wipe off the windows. Sometimes they even used their sleeves on their arms to clear the windows. I read somewhere that they would use like carrots or something or vegetables. Right, potatoes? Yeah. Right, to potatoes? kind of like make
0: a film yeah. uh, that would then not collect water. And I'm like, I right. have never thought of that. No. But yeah, we, we spray some interesting stuff on our windows in winter That's so true. it doesn't ice. Oh, so I, right. I guess it's not that far fetched. <laughs> right. And then
1: like a potato would like cling to the glass like a squeegee so i guess it makes sense it was just wouldn't it still be foggy
0: and hard to see out of like i think it would still like impede vision
1: (laughs) i think so i mean it's kind of genius kind of like gross and weird
0: i might need to try it just to experiment (laughs) just just because yeah
1: we should try it (laughs) so even though mary did not drive this problem impacted mary so much that she actually had to just do something about it Now, keep in mind, at this time, horse and buggies were actually still more popular than automobiles, so her tasks kind of collided with the emerging modern age that saw car manufacturers increasing production to meet consumer demands like Kate just talked about.
0: Right, yeah.
1: So as a result, cars were replacing horse and buggies on the streets and, you know, on the normal traffic ways. So Mary conducted many experiments, and as any inventor does, She worked hard until she found something that actually worked for her. So her aha moment actually occurred when she imagined a device that used rubber squeegees to remove water from the windshields. So Uh when she returned to Alabama, she hired a designer for a hand-operated device to keep a windshield clear, and she had a local company produce a working model. So her device consisted of a lever that you turned inside the vehicle near the steering wheel, and that controlled a wooden and rubber plate on the outside of the windshield. That lever could be operated to cause the spring-loaded arm to move back and forth across the windshield. So the device was actually secured to the top of the windshield and swung downwards instead of nowadays where it is attached at the bottom of the windshield and springs upwards. Right. Right. So a counterweight was used to ensure the contact between the wiper and the window. So I imagine having the device secured to the top of the windshield, Um, it used gravity to its advantage as long as with the counterweight to keep the blade snug against the glass.
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, because if the the blade is on the top of the windshield using that gravity to let it fall, right. Then really the device just needs the spring to spring it back into place. Right. Because it's not electric where when they're lower when they're where the windshield wipers are now, you need totally. the electric power to push it up
1: right. and, and to bring and it back bring down it back actually. Down. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So similar devices had been made earlier, but Mary's was the first to actually work. Um, she applied for a 17-year patent for the windshield wiper, and in 1903, she it was granted. Now, this patent application describes that the device was easily removable, and, quote, thus leaving nothing to mar the usual appearance of the car during fair
0: weather. That's actually kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it is pretty cool.
0: I would never take mine off, but it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I
1: wouldn't either. <laughs> it makes me wonder how big, like, it was, or how obstructive it might. Mu- it was because I I think it
0: was just new I think yeah I think if it's kind of in your line of sight you're aware of it yeah and it's like I haven't had these before right oh I want to take it off because it's in
1: my line of vision even though it's like two inches of you know a sliver that you're not used to seeing exactly
0: and in case there is a bug or rain or inclement weather you want them there but I guess people might have thought of it kind of the way the convertible you know was because even the model t had a had a cloth over it that you could and then you could put it back when you know when the weather was nice so maybe it was that the car has a day look yeah no you're probably (laughs) a fair weather look and then it has a you know bad weather look or something i have no idea (laughs)
1: accessorize your car instead of be more safe
0: We're just used to a car being able to work in anything.
1: All of this is very interesting to me because nowadays it's actually really bad if you don't have one and it's not working. It's Right. You could get penalized and it's just you know, it's actually dangerous and it's just Mm -hmm. it's really funny actually comparing, to be quite honest. Like it's not funny, but it's kind of funny because it's now we're interesting.
0: Like, they were a distraction or an eyesore or a novelty. Yeah, they're, it's like, they're oh, really? more.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're more worried about it being a distraction than they're worried about you know cloudy vision. You know.
0: Yes, exactly. Which is just
1: <laughs> it's just interesting how the how your brain thought process
0: changes. You know. Yeah, in priority. It's just a different priority then versus it is now. Yeah, totally. So there's also three other people who filed for a patent for a window cleaning device right in the same year as Mary. So three months after Mary's patent, Robert A. Douglas filed a patent for a locomotive cab window cleaner. And then five months after that, in England, there was James Henry Apjohn, who patented a, quote, apparatus for cleaning carriage, motor car, or other windows. And this used brushes or wipers, and it could be motor-driven or it could be hand-driven. This one, in England, it had a lot of either-ors. It, like, it was trying to cover, I think, all patent laws. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Of course. Then there would also be a series of patents kind of throughout the years on windshield wipers. And it would include, uh, automatic windshield wipers. It would include the intermittent speeds that we're used to, you know, when we have it kind of slow to when we have it cranked, like totally. make sure it is wiping every single time. Right. And also there was patents for when they became electromechanical, um, right. as well. And we briefly found one that was about, uh, vacuums, the oh, vacuum. Cool. Yeah. yeah. They, they utilize that as well. Which so is so interesting. It is. And I know you're going to dig into it a little bit. Yeah. How did she get them onto cars? What was that journey?
1: Right. So the journey for how windshield wipers got onto cars is cryptic at best. I mean, it took True. a little bit to piece everything together and
0: you went on like, major detective work is what you did i did.
1: <laughs> I, I couldn't find everything in one place it was just like everything was all over the place and i had to like think of very specific questions and then google that i was like okay
0: right and then follow that breadcrumb trail yeah, right yeah <laughs> but then it's
1: like how much is what i'm actually looking for it was it was a little crazy but i think i got it all in one place now for us excellent so, yeah <laughs> I mean, it's fun now that we've got it all here. So anyways, (laughs) let me share it with you. So as we mentioned, Mary was granted a U.S. patent. This was in 1903. But honestly, no one did anything about it for a while because they feared it would cloud the driver's vision and probably for other reasons we are not really told about. Mm -hmm. Um, So in 1905, Mary tried to sell the rights to her invention through a respectable Canadian firm but they actually rejected her application saying we do not consider it to be such commercial value so it would warrant our undertaking its sale
0: oh. which is
1: just crazy to me right because, oh my gosh like nowadays we even have these devices that aren't wouldn't warrant a sale on spaceships
0: right like, <laughs> like
1: that's crazy mm-hmm.
0: you know <laughs> exactly just the
1: broad scope of it all <laughs> is just Wow, it just I don't know. it amuses me, I guess,
0: yeah, because you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you're totally. like, really, they could not see this then right oh, really <laughs> really <laughs> like really
1: <laughs> <laughs> So Mary's patent actually expired in nineteen twenty, and the car manufacturing business grew exponentially after that. Default.
0: it really did. Oh, it totally it took really off, did. yeah.
1: So one resource actually says that by 1916 windshield wipers were standard equipment on all American cars which I mean the source was a little weird and also there was different versions of the windshield yep. wiper that they went through so to to call it standard is a little I th- I feel like it's a, a little bit misleading of a a little yeah. misleading, a bit of a stretch mm-hmm. at this point,
0: at least. Right, yes. Um, and her because... patent was still valid in nineteen sixteen. Right, I think she would have done something about it if it was, yeah. if that was accurate. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. So, the evolution of the windshield wiper in nineteen twenty one, American inventor William Fulberth patented a vacuum powered single blade windshield wiper, and it ran by suctioning from the engine's intake. So the timing was actually a bit of a problem that the wiper speed actually had to match the car speed.
0: That makes sense. If you're going fast versus slow. Oh, yeah. I see it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Which also would be dangerous if you think about it, because it's like, oh, I need to wipe off the stuff. I must go faster. Like, no, let's not do that.
0: (laughs) Oh, that would be very dangerous. Yes. (laughs)
1: If you're doing that, it's probably icy. Let's not drive faster, you know?
0: Yes. Safety first.
1: <laughs> right. But a vacuum seal windshield wiper is actually a pretty cool idea, I think. Right. Like, I mean, think about, invented. like,
0: the car wash. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. when you go to the car wash and the vacuum. Yeah. Interesting. Totally.
1: Yeah. So, on cars built prior to 1920, most windshield wipers were actually still anchored at the top of a windshield. Cadillac was who introduced the vacuum driven wipers and in the 20s other manufacturers also followed him so let's get back to talking about henry ford a little bit Uh,
0: Ah, good old henry ford uh, um,
1: (laughs) he was actually notoriously stubborn about adding any new gadgets to cars
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: he did not get on board with this idea of the windshield wiper until an electrical system was involved and the gadget ah. was installed into his own car.
0: No, oh, Of course. Of
1: course. <laughs> I was like, oh, it works great in mine. I guess other people can have it too.
0: No, I can see why it's practical. Now I get mm. it. Yeah.
1: So as electrical systems evolved, windshield wipers were relocated to the base of the windshield. And ah. then by the mid-30s, Trico had introduced the first windshield washer system, which is right. pretty handy. Yeah. Yep. And then in 1922, Cadillac became the first car manufacturer to adopt them as standard. And this is more like what you would think of as standard
0: and it comes with the car versus an add-on that you would buy or you would special order i want mine custom with the mary anderson windshield wipers no one would say that by the way nobody no one would
1: say that but (laughs) i kind of want to say that now i know next time i need to replace my windshield wipers exactly can i have a mary anderson invented Exactly. Uh, windshield wiper, please. Wait, I'm where? going
0: Mary Anderson shopping, where her creation I shall be looking for is windshield wipers.
1: <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> Actually they're very important. It. When I got my car. Really I, was are. Like a, I was like, I gotta make sure my windshield wipers are hundred percent. Like, that's the first thing mm-hmm. my dad replaced on my car was my windshield wipers. I'm like, alright.
0: Funny story. When I moved to California um from the Midwest. I didn't realize the heat in California is that that could make my windshield wipers melt. What? I'm not even kidding. I had to buy, because my car was parked overnight outside, and the beating sun, I would have to look at replacing my windshield wipers probably every two months because they would start to melt under the California sun. Wow.
1: Wow, right? It's intense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and you wow. realize how important they are when they're pretty much melted and peeling off as it's raining. Pretty You're like, much. "Oh my god, how do I get home?" You stop at, you know, a uh, automotive place and you yep. buy new ones to get home. <laughs>
1: pretty much.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: Now, personally, this is the part of the story where I find it is even more intriguing if it uh-huh. wasn't already intriguing. Windshield wipers did eventually become a, a requirement by law on all automobiles. However, it did take a while for it to be federal law. States individually actually started making windshield wipers a requirement by law before the federal government did. Ah. Uh-huh. So an RCW, or the Revised Code of Washington, number forty-six, thirty-seven, four, ten states after January 1st, 1938... It shall be unlawful for any person to operate a new motor vehicle, first sold or delivered, after that date, which is not equipped with such device or devices, in good working order, capable of cleaning the windshield, therefore, over two separate arcs, one each on the left and right side of the windshield, each capable of cleaning a surface of not less than 120 square inches...
0: That's specific. A,
1: very specific. This <laughs> wow. This is a rabbit hole, okay? That's okay? amazing.
0: I right? love this.
1: <laughs> so, or other device or devices capable of accomplishing substantially the same result. And then additionally, every windshield wiper upon a motor vehicle shall be man- t- maintained in good working order. Mm. Which, that last statement to me, I feel is very very powerful hey this is important it's actually to keep you safe it's not just it's not just a commodity mm-hmm. anymore
0: right it's to keep you safe it's to keep other people safe that is quite amazing i love the detail in that right uh in that code or that law in 1938 yeah. that's amazing
1: <laughs> i know and it's actually it was really hard when researching this not to get lost in all of the the details of it.
0: Right. But sometimes the details are fascinating.
1: They are. But it was like, oh my gosh, there's so many. Like, what <laughs> do I, what do I focus on? Like, well, it was like the arc. There's, there's a whole science behind the arc. Oh, wow. Uh, the windshield wiper and all that stuff. And I almost went down that rabbit hole and I'm like, oh no, that has nothing to do with this episode, but it looks really cool. It's like geometry and stuff like that. Oh, like, Wow.
0: Oh, Yeah. Oh, nice. What a wonderful way to spend an afternoon or a week. (laughs) Right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I love it.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Now, the SAE, or the Society of Automotive Engineers, recommended that the windshield wiper become a standard, even to the point of how much the windshield blades clean off, Ah. like we were just stating. Like, Mm -hmm. how many inches need to be cleaned? Wow, I love it. It's so intense. But get this, okay? The SAE didn't state this to the world until 1966. Oh my gosh. Right? Okay. (laughs) Now, even more incredible to me is that it did not become federal law to have windshield wipers until 1971.
0: Really? Yeah. That is f- I thought that was so odd and really, fascinating. Really? Yeah, mean,
1: yeah. Right? 71 mm-hmm. to have windshield wipers. I told that to my grandfather and he was like it's a good thing that everybody knew that. Right.
0: <laughs> you leave that optional, people are going to try to save a few pennies.
1: <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. That's that's kind of scary actually. It really
0: is. Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, my thought process is this: I didn't go down more of the rabbit hole of looking at when other states made it law. Right. But what I'm assuming, I'm I'm assuming here, what I'm assuming happened is that the federal government assumed that the states would all make it a law, so that right. they didn't have to.
0: Yes. Usually, that's the way it works. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But then not enough states did, so Mm -hmm. they kind of had to. Right. So that's what I think happened. And then, but it's just, it blows my mind. 1971.
0: 1971. Uh, There was a lot of automotive safety that really we didn't think about um, until the later 70s. But it's one of those things where a windshield wiper, yes, it is for safety. But it's also so yeah. you can see out of the vehicle. I mean, like, yeah. it's it allows you to continue driving. Um, totally. So, I mean, I can see people, you know, safety second, visibility just so I can keep driving down the road yeah, and, you totally. know, functionability. Um, yeah. I'm so surprised by that. That is so yeah. odd. And then another question is, so why wasn't her invention used when she had the patent? Because she had a 17-year patent, right? So Now, there are a couple of factors at play here. Uh, One of it is patents in general. The other is the automotive industry at the time. So now, when it comes to patents in general... You are never going to hear me poo-poo them because I believe they are amazing. (laughs) And they are a treasure trove of history and innovation. And a patent by design is a document to prove ownership of an invention. It shows how it works, who worked on it, and what its uses are that they are aware of. But now, patents do have a dark side to them. People will file a patent when they see there is no existing one, just so they can sue companies for usage rights. And there was many people in the automotive industry that were doing this. There was one, George Sheldon, who said he created the automobile having never what? made an automobile. And he sued and and pretty much blacklisted everybody. <laughs> yes. Wow. So there was some, um, you know, shady types in the patent world. So this does slow down innovation. Um, and it also can mean a well-meeting patent holder just gets a bad name. You know what I mean? Just by having a patent and wanting to help the industry. Um, oh. But now on the other side of that, uh, patents are public property and I think that's what I love most about them. Uh, they're a lifeline to new innovations. I mean, take the right. Hedy Lamar episode that we did. Right. Um, how Hedy Lamar and Jordan Anne Hill, they had their patent on frequency hoppings. And now that patent was for guiding torpedoes. <laughs> But it led by reading the patent and thinking about the modern-day technology that we had that was digital of turning it into a way to create Wi-Fi. And we wouldn't have had that innovation that quickly had we not had the legwork of being able to read a patent from 1941. (laughs) So when you file a patent, you're not only saying, I made this. Um, but you're also showing people the uses as well as leaving breadcrumbs for further uses and evolutions. And that's why I absolutely oh. adore them. Um, now, uh, from my, my father's glorious wisdom that he has bestowed upon me, patents are rarely ever used by others uh, for the life of the patent. <laughs> right. They tend to wait until the patent has expired until they are used by other companies. And it's really sad um, waiting for that patent to expire before using the invention. It's unfair. I guess it's cost-effective. Inventors many times like artists are recognized for their efforts, but not always rewarded financially for them. And that's kind of the sad part about patents. (laughs) They're fabulous, But at the same time, why does no one ever use them after they are filed? (laughs) Yeah, for real. Yep. Now, Phoebe, you actually found some other gals uh, who are patent holders as well. And I am so excited to hear about these. These sound fascinating.
1: So USPTO.gov actually wrote an article about all of these gals. So I'm kind of like... Taking notes from them at this point? Yes.
0: Well, they would know. Um, I love them.
1: They would know. So in celebration of Women's History Month, the Department of Commerce's United States Patent of Trademark Office say that five times fast. Right.
0: Oh I know.
1: Uh, they were recognizing some very special women whose inventions have made a great contribution in making this country the most technologically advanced nation in the world. I'm excited to share with you all about a couple more gals that you might not have heard of, brought to you by, of course,
0: USPTO.gov. Excellent. So in
1: 1809, Mary Dixon Keys was born in Killingly, Connecticut, and received the first US patent awarded to a woman for the process of weaving straw with silk or thread. Ah. Unfortunately, all records of this patent were actually destroyed in the Patent Office Fire of 1836. Yeah. But First Lady Dolly Madison praised Keys for helping in the hat industry, and then and also in boosting the economy. The U.S. government had actually put a stop to all European goods. So in two thousand six, Mary Keys was actually inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame, which is awesome. Yes. Our next gal is Patsy O. Sherman, who was born in Minneapolis, and she and Samuel Smith created a patent on April thirteenth, 1971, for their invention to block and graft co-polymers containing water-soluble
0: pol- polar. Oh mm-hmm. I totally know where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. My dad had me study this, actually. Really? Yeah. That's water-soluble awesome. polar groups? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's awesome. We are geeky as geeky can be. 3M stuff is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is where my geek flag shines. I mean, he taught me how to, like, look at different levels of uh, paper and glue and fibers.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's really cool. (laughs) That's where my dad's patents are in. They're in bread slicing on also glue and removable peel back packaging. Heat seal That's stuff. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Sweet.
0: Yes. Oh sorry, I have totally uh, steam filed you.
1: <laughs> That's totally fine. That was way interesting.
0: So Patsy basically created Scotchgard, didn't she?
1: Yeah. So that's exactly what she did. Yes. Patsy and Samuel were both employees at the 3M company, and they collaborated together on what became the most famous and widely used stain repellent and soil removal product.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. (laughs) And it has multi-uses, too.
1: Totally. So what prompted this invention um, was an accidental spill of floral chemical rubber on a tennis shoe. Yeah. And the shoe showed resistance to water and oily liquids. So this accident in the lab is what led to Scotchgard, And it led to those that family of products and everything else from that.
0: Right. They built on that quite a bit, yeah. Yeah,
1: they did. So Passy actually holds thirteen patents with her partner Samuel. And it's all in floral chemical polymers and in polymer Polymerization. It is. It, it's hard processes.
0: to say, and it's not like. What do you do? Yes. No. I work in right. polymerization processes. No. It's. You're not going to get a lot of business cards or. <laughs> no, no, it's
1: not a thing. They
0: are a special kind of my geek.
1: <laughs> totally. So Patsy and Samuel were also inducted in the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2001. Yay!
0: Awesome. Oh, and I looked it up. When we mentioned the National Inventors Hall of Fame, that actually opened in 1973. So if it seems like some of these inventors, why didn't they get their due credit when they were inventing? This is a later um, Hall of Fame um, that has opened up more in modern times to celebrate those that have gone before. Yes.
1: See, that makes a lot more sense. Yes. I was wondering. Yeah. So, the last gals that we're going to talk about is Judy W. Reed of Washington, D.C. and Sarah E. Good of Chicago. And they were the first African American woman inventors to receive patents.
0: Oh, very cool.
1: Yeah. So, Judy may not have been able to sign her name very well, wow. but she may be the first African American woman to receive a patent, which is super cool.
0: Absolutely.
1: So she signed her name with an X on the patent, and it was granted on September 23rd, 1884. This patent was for a dough kneader and a roller. Huh.
0: That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I love that. For a certain part of the fact of she couldn't sign her name, but she can invent something. I love that. I mean, that's just. Oh, my gosh. That's that's really powerful. That's pretty cool. It really (laughs) is.
1: So Sarah's patent was for a cabinet bed. And um, it was issued in July 14th, 1885. Sarah was the owner of a Chicago furniture store at the time of her invention. And she invented a folding bed that could be formed into a desk when not in use, oh. Which is great and uh, it's like a really cool tiny house idea. Honestly.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Like we do, we still use stuff like that today so it's just really
0: cool and it's different than the murphy bed which folds into the wall this is actually a second use oh that's fascinating right yeah. I love that. Ooh, fun time with inventing gals. I do love I do love oh. it. <laughs> so back to Mary and her windshield wiper. So her patent expired in nineteen twenty. And as Phoebe mentioned, in nineteen twenty two, Cadillac made them standard equipment. Now it's also important to note that until nineteen twenty two, most of the personal cars were actually open cars, meaning no solid roof. And many did not have a windshield. Only certain right. certain designs actually had a windshield to begin with. But when the Hudson Motor Company would make closed roof cars affordable, um, it changed the game quite a bit. It also took Detroit manufacturers just a little bit longer <laughs> to follow right. along to the closed roof cars. Um, and it appears that most times when we see the patent holders that once their patent has expired, then it is used by more companies in the industry.
1: So correct me if I'm wrong, Kate, but Mary didn't actually get anything for her invention.
0: I couldn't find but anything.
1: Because it was expi- because it was used after it was expired.
0: Correct. Yeah, she had no uses which is, right, uh... which meant no royalties. It meant kudos, your name is on a patent. Um wow. and you know people will you can say you are the inventor of the windshield wiper um but that's about it not monetary um Wow. Yeah, it's sad. It it's, just, it's common. Yeah. It's unfortunately common though.
1: But the good thing is she continued to do good things with her life. She didn't necessarily need the monetary as far as I can tell.
0: Right, exactly.
1: From- From the patent. Because as we mentioned earlier, she was like a hard worker. She did well for herself, you know. She continued to manage the Fairmount Apartments in Birmingham, Alabama until she died at the age of 87 in 1953, which is a long time to see,
0: Yeah, the automotive industry, just the automotive industry change. Totally. Yeah. Isn't
1: it crazy, though? She died before it was a federal law to have them.
0: Yeah. She would have probably loved to see that.
1: Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at the time of her death, she was the oldest member of the South Highland Presbyterian Church, and she died in the summer home in Tennessee.
0: Gotcha. And
1: her funeral was actually conducted by Dr. Frank A. Maths at South Highland, and she was buried in Elmwood Cemetery. And in 2011, she too was also inducted in the National Inventors Hall of Fame.
0: Aw, oh, awesome. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely.
1: So, Kate, what legacy do you think Mario wanted to leave behind?
0: I'm guessing, but we're always guessing when we're thinking of the legacy. I think she just wanted to help people. I think she saw a problem and she came up with a solution. She made a prototype and a patent to try to help automotive safety. I mean, being rejected by an industry hurts, um, but then seeing them use it, and she didn't see it in her lifetime of becoming a law, but having it eventually become a law, I'm sure that is bittersweet, you know? At least it's yeah. being used, sort of, uh, sort of thing. Um, I also think she wanted her legacy to be that she worked hard, she took care of people, and you know she created something that maybe people take, uh, you know, take for granted.
1: Totally, I agree completely. That's so funny because I was gonna say something extremely similar. Right, I thought she just seemed like a hard worker to me. Right, you know, she just, mm-hmm. and then the fact that like one of her bullet points is that she went back when her mother was a widow and, mm-hmm. like, took care of her. Right. She, she built these apartments. She did this patent. You know, she did all these.
0: She's she a strong member a of, of her church. Yeah, she had a vineyard yeah, and a cattle she, ranch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like she just... Wa- I feel like she wanted to leave a legacy. of You can be a hard worker and you can you can do good for the world.
0: And I think she also, to a certain extent, I think she listened to Adventures Call. You know what yeah, I mean?
1: totally. Like, I yeah. can do
0: this. This sounds adventurous. This sounds, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, traveling from Alabama to Fresno, California to, you know, to coming back to Alabama and Tennessee. I think totally. she was, she had to be adventurous. I mean, she was in New yeah. York when she thought of the idea. So, right. I mean, I, I think there's so much more to Mary than what we know. And I think that's right? actually kind of fun.
1: <laughs> it is. I don't know. It could be like a dangerous thing to assume things about people, but honestly it's it's fun playing detective sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Know? It's fun yep. it's fun picking apart five bullet points of a person's life mm-hmm. and being like, Okay, you said five things about their entire life. What can I peel apart from just right. this? Right. How things? can like, I
0: paint a bigger picture? Yeah, right. with five items. Yeah, yeah. With five
1: things. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: and I, I think we've gotten as close as we can, but at the yeah. same time, I think I think she is one fun lady. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So the what we learned from her. Oh my gosh. So this one I really thought about, and I, I learned from Mary that sometimes that little old lady in your community has much more of an exciting past than you think she does. (laughs)
1: Oh,
0: totally. That's really what I love about Mary. I mean, I hope to be that little old lady in a retirement home and then like have the nurses whisper, you know, she made a podcast once. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Wouldn't that be fun? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I also learned to look at the practical things that we use every day And to question them, who invented this? Why were they invented? What was life like before this was invented? Um, And I do know that when I turn on my windshield wipers, I'll be thinking of Mary and how this one idea made the world just a little bit safer. So I love that little tribute.
1: That is it. I love that too. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: So what did you learn from Mary?
1: I, I just feel this pure like... I'm just going to work hard and just mm-hmm. everything's going to be okay because I'm just going to work hard. Like, right. I'm going to work hard. So I'm going to
0: plug it. in. I'm going to help where I can.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. Yep. And like, and that's enough, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yes.
1: That. Yeah. That's kind of what I've, I've learned from Mary, what I'm taking away from it today is like, no, contribute where you can. Mm-hmm. Do something when you know you can and just work hard and, you know that's
0: enough right you know? notoriety fame and fortune sure that's all great right. but it's not necessary right. you can yeah, still live exactly. an amazing life um without anybody knowing your name of your invention <laughs> absolutely yes yeah. awesome well that wraps it up for us thank you so much for listening to your gal friday you can find out more about mary anderson and we will link to her patent at galsguide.org next week we are talking about the chef author and spy, Julia Child. So normally, we leave you with a quote from our gal, but we couldn't find a quote attributed to Mary. But what we did find was an interview on NPR segment Joe's Big Idea, where Mary's great-great-niece, Sarah Scott Wingo, said this, We are all really proud of her. I have three daughters. We talk about Mary Anderson a lot. And we all sort of feel like we want to be open and receptive to our own sort of Mary Anderson moments. For more information about this week's gal, or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. We've got great perks like behind the scenes, early access, and private live streams. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday.